not only was really cold, but it was really hard for people to heat up and cook. And that's when soup kitchens were set up in many cities, including Lancaster. In 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums, we're delving into the collections to discover objects that can tell us stories about the past and make us think about the present and future. I'm Rachel Roberts, Collections Registrar at Lancaster City Museums. We dive into a chilly part of Lancaster's history in today's episode, but through the miracle of Victorian ingenuity, we can do it in 3D getting a whole new perspective on history and our changing climate. Today's object is a stereograph of the 1895 Big Freeze. The stereograph is a piece of thick card about 18cm wide and 9cm high. There are two almost identical images stuck onto the card side by side. This card would have been slotted into a stereoscope, which was a device which allowed the viewer to see it in 3D. Our card features black and white photographs of the River Loon, although it's difficult to discern the river under the massive blocks of ice that obscure the view in the foreground. Almost two-thirds of the image is taken up by these huge icebergs, which are floating down the river and accumulating at its edges. To one side is a handwritten note in black ink, which reads... Blocks of Ice in the Loon, February 1895. We spoke to Dr Serena Palastri, a lecturer in design for coastal futures at Lancaster University, who helped us understand both stereoscopes and extreme weather events like the one shown on our card. We started by discussing what a stereoscope is. A stereoscope, or sometimes it's called a stereo viewer, it's a device that overlays two images to create a 3D effect. And it does that by tricking the eyes and create the illusion of depth. So if you were to look at the two images, they look pretty much the same, although there are some very, very minor differences in the way in which the subject is positioned in the image. And that is because the stereoscope is split in the middle so that your two eyes work independently. Each eye looks at one image and then your brain sort of computes the full picture and creates that illusion of depth. This is based on an optical phenomenon that was discovered in the 1830s, although the first stereoscopes and stereographs were designed and produced in 1849 by David Brewster. And then from the 1850s, they became extremely popular. They were commercialized. The very first ones looked a little bit like cabinets. They were a big thing and people could buy their images and then insert them in this machine. And it was almost like an event. But then by 1860, we started having more portable machines. So that's the one I think that we have in the museum. It's called the Holmes Stereoscopes, which is a portable one that you can have for personal use. And this is when the London Stereoscopic Company started producing cards that could be sold and you could buy and have a home. And it's estimated that by the 1860s, there were about 1 million views in the catalogue that people could purchase. 
the most popular ones by far were of sites and architectures from faraway land. So you could kind of travel in space and be able to visit monuments that you couldn't see otherwise and see them in 3D, which is really exciting. Some of them were used for educational purposes. Some of them were used for scientific dissemination. So for example, images of plants or specimen. They became so popular that people started to be a bit judgmental about the way the masses were so uh, focused on these devices. A bit similar with today and the phone. They were talking about the youth going around and being focused on these devices and paying attention to that, not talking to people. Baudelaire has a quote that says, thousand hungry eyes bending over the peephole of the stereoscope. So there was this like kind of, yes, they could be used for educational purposes, but actually the youth is using them for their own entertainment and so on. From this point on, stereographs fell out of favour, although they were still used for some unexpected purposes before having a bit of a resurgence as a retro toy. They became less and less popular in the 1900s. Postcards became the more popular thing to sell and for people to look at. But actually, they were still used in some contexts. For example, during World War I and World War II, they were used as a way of recognizing planes. So for training purposes, it was believed that there was an advantage in being able to kind of understand the three-dimensional qualities of the way in which these planes fly and what they look like. And so they were using stethoscopes and stethographs for this particular purpose. And then finally, for people who are old enough to remember that in the 1960s, the Viewmaster popularized the idea of stereoscopy again by working with, for example, film companies and Disney and cartoon companies to produce reels of images and little stories that could be bought um, as well as the device. The London Stereoscopic Society still exists. Fun fact, uh, Brian May, the guitar player of Quinn, is the main character in the world of stereoscopy today in the UK. So stereoscopic images are still produced, but what's more popular now is other more digital ways of experiencing VR. 2010 is the Oculus Rift, creating immersive experience of place, and then Google with the cardboard viewers, and then using phones. But the principle, in a way, it's still the same. It's the idea of being able to see pictures and images, but experience them in a different way and for their three-dimensional qualities. Now let's turn to what is actually pictured on this stereograph. How did this dramatic event come about to be captured in a stereograph for people to wonder over? The stereograph that's held at the museum shows an image, or rather two separate pictures composing one image of the frozen river Loon. The stereograph is dated February 1895. So we can see mounds of ice and snow in the foreground, a ship in the background and tenement houses far away. It was taken during the big freeze of 1894 and 1895, which was one of the coldest ever recorded winters in Britain. It's also called the Little Ice Age, and it's a culmination of a decade of really harsh winters in England. Winter in 1894 actually started off quite mild in December, but then temperatures dropped 
towards the end of the year and remain sub-zero through January and February. And the main problem there, the reason why it's so documented, is because at that time, commercial operations and transport was mostly still through canals and rivers. So goods and supplies couldn't be moved very easily. And the biggest problem is that coal storage dwindled in many cities in England. So not only was really cold, but it was really hard for people to heat up and cook and light fires. And that's when soup kitchens were set up in many cities, including Lancaster. There are other pictures of other rivers and lakes that are also frozen over. So, for example, Lancaster University Library has a picture of people skating on the frozen river Kent. Skating became the main way of people distracting themselves from the hardship of the big freeze. So there are several pictures actually around the country of people skating off the river Thames. There's also pictures of Lake Windermere being frozen over. In February, some of the temperatures recorded, I couldn't find them for Lancaster specifically, but Loughborough was negative 15, and there were areas of Scotland at minus 27. The fact that this stereograph was taken shows us that the sight of icebergs in the loon was considered remarkable. But how unusual was it? Was the Big Freeze a one-off event, or has it been common in the loon's history for it to freeze over? This is remembered as the Big Freeze and the Little Ice Age, mostly because of the difficulties with the supplies. It was a particularly cold winter. Looking at the temperature on average of the period, yes, we used to have harsher winters, but not as cold. A comparable range in temperature was not recorded since the 1600. And then after the Little Ice Age, there was also a particularly cold winter in 1946 and 47, where it snowed for 55 consecutive days between January and March. Some people would remember 1962, 1963 as the big freeze, where temperature consistently sub-zero. 1982 also had record-breaking temperatures in Scotland, and then December 2009 was also a very cold one with average temperatures of negative one across Britain. The river would have frozen in these really cold temperatures. The river is tidal, so there is an element of salinity of the water, so it's hard to know at each point whether or not it will freeze, but yeah, it was common to freeze although not as much as in the pictures recorded here. We might think that we're a lot better placed to ride out an extreme winter in modern-day Lancaster than they were in the Victorian period. But such weather events can still pose serious challenges. When it's this cold, it's not just the idea of people feeling cold and having to burn more fuel. So there is an element of life gets more expensive because we have to spend more money 
to heat the house and warm ourselves up. But the problem is that the colder it gets, the easier it is for supplies to be disrupted and for infrastructures not working properly. Um, the cold situation of 1895 uh, was an example, but we've seen it a lot with trains maybe not working properly or electrical infrastructure malfunctioning because of these extreme weather event situations. This is both about the colds, but also extreme rainfall, storms, extreme heat. Whenever we experience something that is outside what is expected for that period, it's much more likely to lead to disruptions and impact for the population. We hear a lot about climate change and the world heating up. And if we look at the average temperature recorded through the year in different parts of the world, we definitely see a pattern towards heating, uh, temperatures rising. But sometimes it can be a little bit confusing because we still experience very cold winters or very rainy cold summers like this past year in 2022 in July was quite cold in Lancaster. So when we look at the weather rather than the climate, it's much more likely for us to expect extreme weather events and situations that are outside the normal patterns for the seasons. And this is because rise in temperature leads to ice sheet melting, leads to sea level changes, leads to other disruptions in the patterns in the sea currents and global climate patterns that lead to localized disruptions and localized anomalies in terms of time. So the reason for the UK climate being relatively temperate for its geographical location and also humid is largely dependent on the Gulf Stream. And the Gulf Stream is a stream that comes from the Gulf of Mexico. So it is part of this global balance of different elements that have to work together in order to create this phenomenon. So with these possible disruptions in the patterns of the Gulf Stream happening, there's no way of knowing what future lies ahead for the UK and the British Isles. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. Why not check out some of our other episodes where we look at objects from keys to combs to carved bones? <laughs>